April? Not so much? Okay, all right. I'm happy that it's April. Anybody get April fooled this year? No. Felt like it this morning trying to get up here and the baptism thing, and it was just <laughs> a little bit of a drill. So, bit of a heavy message this morning, but a hope filled message. Last week, in the second week of this series that we're calling Conflict Resolution, Pastor Rick talked about the foot washing of uh, Jesus, uh, of his disciples, that's found in John's Gospel in the 13th chapter. Today, we're going to be looking at the continuation of that story. It's the same night in that same upper room, same people, same table, all happening uh, kind of in that moment as we move into the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. But before I go there, I want to kind of focus in on what was happening in 13 because it really sets us up for chapter 14. So three things are highlighted in chapter 13. First of all uh, is the foot washing service and then Jesus confronting Judas and then Jesus confronting Peter. So here's how John introduces that 13th chapter. Pastor Rick read this for us last week, but I just want to read it again. It's from John chapter 13, verse 1. Here's what it says. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Seems to me John wanted us to understand two really important things. First of all, that Jesus knew what was happening. This wasn't a surprise. This is, wasn't Jesus being um, uh, put off guard or anything like that. Jesus knew before this Passover meal, Jesus knew long before where this moment was going to be leading him. And so John makes it perfectly clear that Jesus knew what was going on. And then the second thing is that Jesus loved his followers, and it was an unchanging love from the beginning of their earthly ministry all the way through. No matter what happened, Jesus loved his disciples. It's important to remember this because all hell is about to break loose. And literally, the powers of evil in all of their expressions are now coming together to seek to destroy Jesus and unleash evil on the world. Evil, Satan, understands what's at stake here and bringing all of his forces to bear to undermine what Jesus is looking to do. The Bible teaches us that God is a God of order, and God is a God of design. Order and design that are life-giving. And when you look at the 
creation, when you look at the planet, we understand that God is a God of order and design that's life-giving. Everything on this planet works together in an intricate, detailed, specific kind of way that allows life. God is the God of order and design in ways that are life-giving. And Satan is about chaos. The exact opposite of all that God is about. Satan is about chaos that sucks the life out of us figuratively and literally. Chaos. That word chaos, it's an interesting word, and it means complete disorder and confusion. Chaos, complete disorder and confusion. Have you ever been in a time of chaos? It's disorienting, isn't it? If you've ever really experienced chaos in your life, it's disordering, uh, and if it goes on for a period of time, it begins to drain hope out of our lives. Sometimes, chaos that we experience is the result of circumstances around us. I just listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago. It was a reporter from the New York Times who reached out to Afghan girls. I say girls, they were, they were young women, really, 17 to early 20s. And she talked to about a half a dozen of these girls, one at a time. And uh, she began each of the conversations asking them to describe their experience of going to school. And as they talked about going to school and going through the different grades and getting into uh, through high school and then going to university, you could hear the excitement in their voice and they would be talking about those experiences and remembering the classes and the teachers and the things that they were learning and the other students. And there was just a life in their voice. You could just hear it coming across in this podcast. And then she moved, the reporter moved, and asked each of these girls about life now that the Taliban no longer allows girls to go to school. And in each case, you just heard their voices go flat. As they talked about their disappointment, as they talked about how hard it was to not do that thing that they love so much, to be denied the opportunity to expand their minds and their understanding and talked about what life felt like them for now. And, and each of them described a similar kind of pattern. I wake up in the morning, I make some food, I clean up. I get ready for the next meal, I make some food, I clean up. I make some food, I clean up. I go to bed. And the next day, I do it all over again. It broke my heart when this one Afghan girl said, the hope in me has died. That's chaos. And the circumstances that can create chaos in us are different. It could be an illness or a divorce, the death of a loved one, a betrayal of a friend, an addiction, 
all of these things can create in our lives, in our world, in your world, can create a kind of chaos that leaves us feeling disoriented. What we thought we knew, what we thought we could count on, what we thought was solid, evaporates in the midst of the chaos and a kind of hopelessness sets in. We can't really see a future that's worth pursuing. Jesus tells his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. What? That must have been mind-blowing, earth-shattering. One of us is going to betray Jesus? How is that possible? We love Jesus. We've given our lives to him. We've followed him for three years. We've seen all. How could that be? Who is it? Who could that be? Who could that be? I thought we were a band of brothers. I thought we had each other's backs. And then Jesus goes on and says, not only that, but Peter's going to deny me. Not once, but three times before the rooster crows. What? Peter? The rock? The one who is the strongest among us, the one who is the most kind of faithful, passionate follower of Jesus, how could this be? Jesus is going to die? The Messiah is going to die? What? He was the one that was going to deliver us from Rome. He was the one that was going to restore Israel to its place among the nations. going to die? This is bad. <laughs> this is really bad. And things are going to get way worse. And I'm just imagining these, these disciples sitting around this table in this upper room as the chaos begins to descend and they're thinking about all that they're hearing and all of the implications for Jerusalem, for Israel, for the faith, for their own lives. What does this mean for me? What's gonna happen to me? What am I gonna do? Where am I gonna go? Are they gonna come after me? You can just feel the hope evaporating as the weight of what Jesus is telling them begins to settle onto them. So it's in that context, what's just happened in chapter 13 and all that it represents, it's in that context that now we move to chapter 14. And hear these words in the context of what's going on. This is what Jesus said. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Don't let your hearts be troubled or thrown into chaos. What? After all you just told us, Jesus, and now you're telling us, don't let my heart be troubled? Everything I thought I knew, everything I believed in, just got pulled out from under me. What choice do I have but to have a troubled heart? What choice do I have but to be kind of sucked into the chaos? What choice do I have? Believe in God. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe in me. Don't put your faith in the circumstances or in other people. Put your faith in me. I think this is the first thing, friends, that we need to remind ourselves of when we find ourselves falling into circumstances that take us into a kind of chaos. Trust Jesus. It sounds simple, maybe simplistic, but it's profound. It's profound. Jesus calms the troubled heart. Jesus brings order to where circumstances and evil would bring chaos. And he is the restorer of hope. Jesus is the restorer of hope. I'm kind of fond of that word, hope. <laughs> I love being associated with that word, hope. Hope is an expectancy. It's about the future. Hope is what keeps us moving into the future because we recognize it's going to be worth the effort. That's the nature of hope. And Jesus is the giver and the keeper and the restorer of hope. And when hope is absent in your life, well, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 puts it this way, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred, when hope is put to the side, it makes the heart's sick. Do not let your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God. Trust in me. 
When we lose hope, we give in to the chaos. And Jesus is the giver of hope. And Jesus says that the hope that he has to offer isn't just a temporal hope, it is an eternal hope. I'm going, he said, to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so our hope in Jesus is eternal, right? So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus' promise, do you believe in Jesus' promise that there is an everlasting life? Is that real for you? Do you believe that Jesus' promise of an everlasting life is true? And do you believe that it applies to you? That the everlasting life that Jesus promises is true for you? And so this morning, if your answer to either of those questions is no, I've got good news for you. It can be yes. To put your faith in Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, is to say yes to his promise that life is everlasting. That there is a life on the other side of the grave that is eternal and blessed beyond measure. And all it takes is a yes from you. Yes, Lord Jesus, I believe it. That's the nature of faith. It's faith to say no, and it's faith to say yes. You can choose to say either one. But I encourage you to say yes, because it's true. And if you say yes, if you've said yes, yes, I believe in eternal life, and yes, I believe it applies to me, then you have a living hope that overcomes the times of chaos. Your hope is eternal. You know, my mom died in April of 2007. I was thinking about her recently, and I was remembering that phone call from my sister letting me know that mom had passed. She'd passed early in that morning, and so my sister was there with my dad, and I drove up to be with them. And, uh, you know, there was all of the activity in the house. Mom had uh, been on hospice at home, and so they had to go through all of the details of the funeral home and calling the hospice folks to come and, and remove all of the stuff from the house. And so there was a... There was a bunch of stuff going on throughout the day. And then that night, I stayed with my dad. And I remember that night, we were sitting watching some game on TV. I have no idea what the game was. Just sitting there in silence, both kind of grieving the loss. And my dad broke the silence. I'm not sure if he was talking to me or just speaking out loud the words that came to his mind. And he said, you know, I wonder what mom's first day in heaven was like. That's hope. 
That's an eternal hope that even in the midst of the chaos of the loss of one so dearly loved, that we have this living hope and the promise of eternity. So here's what Jesus says next in chapter 14 of John's gospel. Verses 4 through 6, here it is. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, Jesus said. My way is the way. You want to know how to get to the Father. You want to know how to get to eternal life. Follow my way. What is the way of Jesus? Well, again, listen to what he said back in chapter 13. Right after he washed his disciples' feet, this is what Jesus said in uh, chapter 13, verse 15. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Follow my way. Do what I have done. The way of Jesus is the way of love. Humble, sacrificial, for the sake of others kind of love. Jesus says, follow in my way. You know, anytime I read that foot washing story, my mind goes to the story of a guy named Joe Cordick. For those of you who have been around for a long time, you may remember Joe Cordick. He was actually at Hope. Uh, we had invited him to come uh, to speak to us. Joe Cordick was a senior vice president of the Ford Motor Company uh, back in the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s. He was on a short list to become the next CEO of the Ford Motor Company had led major divisions of that, uh, of that corporation. And unexpectedly, he announced that he was taking an early retirement. It was so kind of significant that the Wall Street Journal did the story about Joe Cordick and his early retirement. And they asked him, you know, why he was retiring early, given the fact that he might well have become the CEO. And Joe said, you know what, I just decided that I wanted to spend the rest of my life, however long that may be, washing some feet. It turns out that Joe was a man of faith in Christ. And so he spent the next years of his life as a volunteer with hospice. Here is a guy who worked at the highest levels of corporate life with all of the perks that came with it. But his life wasn't defined by that. His life was defined by living the way of Jesus. I don't have to tell you guys 
that life can get hard. The world around you can create chaos within you. And the disorder and the confusion can feel like it's draining you of hope. And so if you find yourself in that position now or sometime in the future, I want you to hear again the words of Jesus. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me because I am the way and the truth and the life. He never promised us an easy life, did he? But what he did promise and what we are promised is an abundant life. And that abundant life is described as a growing capacity as you follow him, a growing capacity to love, to experience joy, to know peace, to practice patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. So if there's anything troubling your heart today, whether it's the things in the news that are going on around the world or in this country, or something closer to home that is troubling your heart, I want you to take courage today. I want you to lay claim to the hope that you have in Christ. The one who is the way. The one who shows us the way. The one whose promise is everlasting. Hey, if you're here in the room, would you stand with me as we pray together? And you at home would invite you to join us in this prayer as well. And I would say that this morning, if you have questions about eternity and your own eternal security that you can put that to rest in a simple prayer this morning. And it's simply, Lord Jesus, forgive my sin. Lord, become the leader of my life. Guide me in your way. May your promises be true to me. And so I want to give you a moment to just Pray as you will, and then I'll close this out. So let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks and praise for hope. For that certainty, that assurance, that expectation that you are out on the horizon, that we do not have to be overwhelmed by confusion, that we don't have to live a disoriented life. That Lord, you bring us above the chaos and you offer us hope 
and a way forward. That is good. And Lord, that you give us a hope that is eternal. We give you thanks for that, Lord. We recognize that we don't deserve it. We could never earn it. But we receive it with gratitude and give you thanks, praise, glory, and honor for you are worthy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people agreed and said, Hey, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.